Hour number two coming your way here on CBS Sports Radio. Jody Mack, glad to be back on the Saturday night get-together. Coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need cash out of your home and a simple way to get it, Rocket can. All right, uh, got some late-night college football games on. The Oregon game, a little late getting ESPN because Mississippi uh, game ran late itself. Touchdown for San Diego State. Uh, they're playing a key game in their conference against Nevada tonight. They grab an early 6 nothing with the point pending lead with three minutes and change to go in the first. Uh, I'll keep an eye on that one for you. But I want to talk about what has transpired all day in college football because some very interesting things did happen. And a guy who can give us that much more insight, he follows it for Athlon Sports these days, Kevin McGuire, good enough to hop aboard with us here on CBS Sports Radio. How you doing, Kev? I'm doing great, Jody. How are you today? Good. Uh, here's where I want to start. What the hell happened today at the end of the Baylor-Oklahoma game? <laughs> well, a lot of shenanigans. And I think uh, if you listen to Dave Aranda after the postgame uh celebration uh he decided that he had to kick a field goal to in order to get a leg up in a tiebreaker situation as this big 12 race is now coming down to the wire uh, and meanwhile oklahoma uh has once again have a little bit of a quarterback situation going on so uh just things were not working for oklahoma's offense baylor celebrated a big victory with a massive fourth quarter uh really took control at home and gotta gotta like the decision i guess to uh kind of tackle on a couple style points at the end because who knows how that's going to come back into play. Well, I uh, was surprised. I picked Oklahoma to win the game, and uh, shame on them. You're right. Williams didn't play well. Spencer Rattler comes in, played probably worse than Williams did. Better team won. I don't want to tell you anything away from Baylor. More power to them. They got a very good win at home. But it looks like time runs out. Your fans storm the field, so the other team wisely gets the hell out of there, goes back into the locker room. The referees say, no, 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 there's one second left to play. They bring the team back out onto the field, which you don't need to. The game's over. It's a 10-point margin. There's one second to play. The referee should have just said, take a snap, take a knee, get the hell off the field, let's all go home. No, they force Oklahoma to come back out, and then the Baylor guy kicks a field goal for a tiebreaker that may or may not happen. Lincoln Riley, to his credit, because I watched the game all the way through, ran out into the field, shook hands, and then got the hell out of there. But then afterwards said, that's just against uh, the code of college football. You don't do something like that. I am 100% in agreement with Lincoln Riley. Are you? I'm not against him at all. I think in that situation, uh, maybe – it's it's tough to take a loss on the road and uh, be in the middle of that frenzy. I get that. And maybe that added some salt on the wound. I don't know. But uh, I do get where he's coming from. It, it did seem kind of strange until I think later on we get some perspective. But you're right. I mean, this tiebreaker may or may not even come into play. So it, it's a little bit of a weird situation, just a, a weird day in general uh, as far as the Big 12 is concerned. Uh, but you know what? I, I think the – point that i would like to discuss is maybe the officials should have some kind of discretion and say hey there's so there's thousands of fans on the field maybe we can just end this game right now this is not going to come back into play in any uh, stretch of the imagination so uh, you know who knows who knows how the big 12 is going to review this situation no i i wish the referees had the discretion to do that and i also think the Baylor coach had the discretion to just take a knee and get the game over and done with. I thought it was mishandled several different ways. Uh, no, no, 
Uh, I'm not knocking uh, Baylor for their win, and good for them. They stay in the mix for a championship, conference championship, and shame on Oklahoma go in there and lay the egg the way they did, but I thought the last second was very poorly handled. All right, Cincinnati wins easily today over UCF. UCF kept it close for a while. Cincinnati opened it up late. Uh, last couple of weeks, they haven't gotten as many quote-unquote style points as you probably would have liked. That's why they're on the outside looking in of the top four right now at number five. Basically held serve today. Is that how you would describe their victory? That's the way that I'm seeing it. And I think that they're still in a position where they can keep going out and winning games by whatever the margin's going to be. I think the committee uh, has shown that they're not going to put Cincinnati in until they're almost forced to do so. So whether they're waiting for Ohio State to lose, Oregon to lose, Alabama to lose, I have a feeling that Cincinnati is going to have to continue to play the waiting game because I don't know if they're going to get that kind of help just yet. So uh, it's unfortunate because I, I would love to see Cincinnati uh, crack into this thing, and they've come as close as any team has. But you know, I think uh, you know the results of today, certainly with Notre Dame winning the way that they have, uh, I think that actually helps Cincinnati too. But then sure. you also you also have to keep an eye on Notre Dame too in this whole playoff discussion because you know an eleven and one Notre Dame at the end of the year, it's going to be an interesting case to be made if there if there's a spot available. Yeah, but here's the issue with that. Uh, I think the committee has already shown the fact that they've got Oregon ahead of Ohio State tells mm-hmm. you that they put a heavy emphasis on head to head. And Cincinnati beat Notre Dame head-to-head. So Notre Dame, you're right, it's still in the mix. But they have to have Cincinnati lose first before they can get past them. Well, well, that I, I, I do agree. And so that would certainly be my logic. But then I would also take a look at what the committee did with Michigan and Michigan State. You know, these two teams just played a couple weeks ago. Michigan State won the head-to-head, and then Michigan's ahead of them. So I, I do think, you know, bottom line is get the top four teams in, and then we'll, who cares about the rest of the rankings, pers- personally, is where I fall on this. But... Uh, I, I do think that having Oregon ahead of Ohio State, even though I think Ohio State is the better team right now and has been the better team really since they played in Week 2, I, 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 I totally am on board with the logic of having some weight behind a head-to-head matchup when you have them available. All right, here's a major key, and we got no new information on it today because Georgia did what they had to do. Actually, give credit to Tennessee. They hung in for like a quarter and a half. And then Georgia's defense clamped down, and they put a bunch of points up, and they ended up uh, winning handily the way they were supposed to. But it was competitive for at least a while. Alabama blew out New Mexico State exactly what they were supposed to do. If Georgia and Alabama stay undefeated until the SEC title game, does that lock them both in for two spots in the college football playoff, or does the loser of that game have a chance to fall all the way out of the top four? I think Georgia would have the breathing room. I'm not 100% sure about Alabama. I think if Alabama takes a second loss, I think that that might knock them out. Assuming that Oregon and Ohio State can win out and assuming that Cincinnati wins out, I think that's the only hope that really a a program like Cincinnati is going to have to rely on uh, Georgia winning the SEC title game because uh, we haven't seen a two-loss team that hasn't won a conference championship. We haven't seen a two-loss team in the playoffs to begin with. We certainly haven't seen a two-loss team without a conference championship make it into the playoffs. So I, I think that that would be kind of the last straw for Alabama in that situation. Uh, fair enough. I was actually kind of surprised that, and again, we don't get, unlike the, the polls where you have 
uh, actual voting, and you can see the numbers. Um, you don't get that with the uh, playoff committee. They just give you the one, two, three, four, five, and so on and so forth on the way down. So we don't know how much difference there is, but they moved Alabama right up to number two. Um, Michigan is still in the mix. After they got their win today, they are ahead of Michigan State, but they lost to Michigan State, as you correctly pointed out. If they beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten championship game, can they jump over a team like Cincinnati? I think, without a doubt, they would jump ahead of Cincinnati because if you look at the the last couple games that they would have played, they would have beaten Ohio State, which I think is going to be a top-four team when that game is played because I think they'll beat Michigan State next weekend. And then they will probably be uh, beating a ranked team out of the Big Ten West, like maybe Wisconsin, uh, which would obviously be a second game against Wisconsin. So I, I think Michigan would have a really good chance to be in the playoff with a, a one-loss Big Ten champion, uh, the way that Michigan could very well potentially ending their season uh, with, in a scenario where they have a win against Ohio State. I think that'd be huge. And I think the committee would be very impressed and would probably be swayed to move Michigan ahead of Cincinnati. Now, whether that means that Cincinnati is completely out, that remains to be seen too. But I just feel as though this committee does not respect these group of five teams uh, when there are so many other options available from these power conferences. And I think a one-loss to Michigan as a Big Ten champion would be an attractive option for this committee. Kevin McGuire, college football columnist for Athlon Sports, here with us on CBS Sports Radio. If Michigan wins the rest of their games, and Oregon wins the rest of their games. Oregon right now is number three. Michigan's number six. They both win out. I would think Michigan should be ranked higher. Would you? I think they both could be in. They could be 3-4, or they could be 2-3, depending on uh, the Georgia-Alabama game. Um, uh, do you think Michigan's resume at the end of the season, if they win the rest of their games, will top Oregon's? I think so, because the, the Michigan lost to Michigan State, who is obviously highly regarded by the selection committee. It was a road game. It was a close game. And, and they will both have a win against Ohio State. So you can kind of compare and contrast there if you want. But, right. yeah, I think at the end of the season, uh, a one-loss Michigan or versus a one-loss Oregon, I think Michigan would have the upper hand. As do I. Uh, should be interesting to see the way it shakes out. All right. Um, a couple other things that uh, happened today. Bryce Young had another big game. It's against New Mexico State. So he's supposed to have a big game. He did. Came through with five touchdowns. Right now, I would have him, and this is really close and rather fluid, I would have him as the Heisman forerunner. Who do you have on top of your Heisman list as of right now? I'm kind of hopping on that Bryce bandwagon because I think he's been having a phenomenal season. I think this is a year where it's completely wide open. I don't think there really is a runaway favorite. I'm still trying to figure out if I like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. I think they're both having some fantastic seasons coming down the stretch here in key moments, putting up some big numbers. So I'm wondering if it's going to come down to those two, to be honest with you. And that's the thing. Like I'm looking at the Heisman race this year. I don't see any megastar that has been running away with this thing from the no. start to the finish. I, I think it's really going to be dependent on which one of these two quarterbacks probably comes out on top at the end of the season. If Bryce Young can leave Alabama to an SEC title game, that's certainly going to carry a lot of weight because that means he's probably going to have a productive game in the SEC title game against the Georgia defense that's just been shutting everybody down this year. So that would be a, certainly a highlight of worthy performance for any Heisman candidate if that's a possibility. You mentioned Stroud, and I've been impressed by him, and he had a big game uh, today with five touchdown passes. But one of the things that I thought hurt 
a couple of the Alabama quarterbacks over the last couple of years, Tua and uh, Mac Jones, they've got really talented wide receivers. It kind of proves itself out in the NFL draft when the wide receivers are taken uh, up in the top five picks, 10 picks, 15 picks, uh, 20 picks. Uh, guys just are getting a ton of uh, props coming out of uh, Alabama by where they're picked in the NFL draft. I think that Ohio State has three future first-round draft pick wide receivers. Do you think that'll hurt Stroud's Heisman uh, chances? No, because I think it's going to be all coming down to numbers. And say what you will about the help around you, you still have to put up the production. And I think if you have the numbers to back up whatever your performance is, I I think that that's really what's going to carry the conversation. It certainly helps to have as many talented wide receivers, but you still have to get them the ball. You still have to complete those passes to those guys, too. So, obviously, they have their job to do, but, you know, they can't do the job if the quarterback's not doing theirs. Yeah, and I thought Mac Jones was going to get the Heisman last year, and lo and behold, they gave it to his wide receiver. Uh, don't yeah. know if we'll play that same type way, and I'm not suggesting any of the Ohio State wide receivers should win because uh, they're all good, and uh, you can't make an argument for all three of them. Only one guy can win the award, but I think it actually could uh, handicap Stroud's chances. All right, uh, so how many weeks do we go before they have the official unveiling of the four teams that make the playoffs? Well, we've got two weeks left in the regular season, and we've got the conference championship games. Uh, I guess we're, what, three weeks away now at this point? We've got three weeks of games to get through. Uh, so it's uh, coming down to the final stretch there, Joey. Yeah, it is, and uh, I think there's a lot of debate, and there can be some significant change as we come down the stretch here. Uh, how would you characterize this year's college football season, just overall, with its twists, with its turns, with its level of play? How would you uh, describe the 2021 college football season? Largely unpredictable, although at the end of the year, we're going to see some familiar names still making a case for the playoff with teams like Alabama and Georgia, Ohio State certainly in the mix. Uh, but I think everything after the top five, top six has just been wildly entertaining all season long because every week seems to have a different storyline or a different upset or just something that you're not expecting to see uh, every week in the season. That's what makes college football so great. And, and I think this the fact that everybody is back to a little bit more of a normal routine this year for the most part. I think that has helped kind of change the dynamic and everybody's going out there and just uh, taking advantage of the opportunity just to play some football in regular conditions again. All right, uh, got to get your opinion on a couple of big coaching jobs that are going to be open. You don't have programs shake out that often that have won national championships, and in LSU's case, recent national championships, that's the case with USC too. Um, that's always one of the most intriguing things during the offseason. we got to have a season and crown a champ, even though both teams, as soon as that season is over, will start uh, making maneuvers to try and get their next head coach. Who would you say are the two uh, leading candidates, first in LSU and then USC? Well, we hear the name James Franklin an awful lot, although today seems to be a rough day to be throwing his name in there as a hot candidate. Uh, But I think he would be an ideal candidate for a number of reasons as far as recruiting is concerned. Uh, And that's why his name is going to continue to be in there. But I think specifically for a program like LSU, I'm just taking a look. We're going back to that Baylor team we were just talking about. Dave Aranda obviously – uh, came through the LSU coaching staff, and uh, I think he would be a really attractive candidate to come back to Baton Rouge uh, if LSU wanted to go that way. Uh, you know, I don't think that the Jimbo Fisher to LSU conversation is going to carry too much weight, uh, but I think if 
LSU is looking to hire somebody that has had some success in the SEC, I think Dave Aranda might be a good way to go. And, and for that USC job, I think that's just totally wide open. I'm surprised we haven't heard a little bit more about where that coaching search is actually going to be going. Uh, but it's certainly, I think now that the season's coming down the final stretch here, that's going to be heating up really quickly. Yeah, the only thing we know is Mike Tomlin's not taking the job because he came out right. and said it. He's not going to a college program. He's staying right where he wants in Pittsburgh. Uh, why no to Jimbo Fisher going to LSU? Well, I think it would be really fun to see, but, I mean, he's getting paid an awful lot at Texas A&M, and I just think that's really difficult to walk away from. Uh, I know, you know, they would love to have him at LSU, and I think he'd be really fun at LSU. I think he would fit right in per- perfectly for that program. I just that's a lot of money to leave at Texas A&M. So unless LSU is going to make that a fairly comparable offer, which they may, I don't know. Yeah, I don't that, know that, that, that's, that's, my, that's my presumption. It's starting with he's getting a raise to go to LSU. If they can't afford yeah. it, then you're right. There's no conversation whatsoever. But uh, LSU has been a pretty uh, high profile, and I think that the, the money is certainly there. they got some well-heeled um, backers at LSU as well. I, I'm starting with that assumption. You may be right, and that might not be possible, but if it is, I was just wondering, would he prefer LSU over Texas A&M, things being equal? Well, if all things are being equal, I think he might prefer LSU because I just feel like he fits in more with that LSU program and that LSU environment for some reason, and maybe it's his previous experience there, but I, I think that that would be a more natural fit if all things are equal, and that's the big, that's the big if, I think, when this one comes up. All right. I don't think I've ever asked you a question like this, Kevin, when I had you on before. If you want to answer it, answer it. If you want to beg off, feel free to. Um, I watch a lot of college football. I love it for the, the, the competition and the debate as to who's going to get into the college football playoff and the like. But I've always got half an eye on what kind of an NFL player is a kid going to be at all positions, maybe quarterback above all others, but I do try and judge them all when I watch it because I'm as big an NFL fan as I am as well. Who is the college quarterback who's draft eligible this week who, in your mind, is going to become the best pro quarterback? That's an excellent question. I'm looking at this quarterback class, and I don't know if it's a great quarterback class, and that's why I'm thinking if you're a guy like Kenny Pickett at Pitt, you're having a really good year at a really good time because I feel like the, the, what he's been able to do with this kid offense this season has been pretty impressive. And I think that's why he's starting to move himself up all those different mock drafts and all the draft player rankings. And again, I don't think it's a deep year for quarterbacks personally. And I think that, that that's why if you're Kenny Pickett, you could not have picked a better year to have the kind of season he's having. And I know some people have thrown him into the Heisman conversation, but just look at the kind of way that he approaches the game. I think it fits in pretty well at the next level. How successful that it ends up being, I don't know. But I think uh, he's, he's looking like he's more ready for the next level than I thought he would be going into the season. I agree. Yeah, I think he's probably the number one rated guy. I think I'm still a Matt Corral guy. I think they're similar quarterbacks. I think Corral is actually a little bit more accurate. And I know he's a better runner. Um, but uh, Pickett, can, he can spin the football down the field. It's going to be very interesting when we get to the draft in April. Kevin, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on with me tonight. We'll certainly uh, get you back on before the playoffs get underway. Thanks for joining us tonight. Sounds good. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Kevin McGuire, uh, Athlon Sports, where he writes college football, uh, giving us some good insight and some debatable uh, opinion 
I'll give you mine. I'll take yours. Here's how we do it. I open up my phone lines. You get aboard. 855-212-4227. Saturday night get-together. Jody Mack, hang with you on CBS Sports Radio.